Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Well, good evening again. Exciting. We're still in our uh, typology. It's encouraging. I've heard a lot of really awesome feedback from, uh, from many of you about how encouraged and how much of a, a blessing it's been. So I'm excited because we have a whole lot more of them we're going to go through. Tonight, the title of the message is He is Our Refuge, and it comes from Numbers chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35, and we're going to look tonight at verses 9 through 15 of that uh, chapter. Uh, he is our refuge, and what I'm referring to is the cities of refuge we'll see here shortly. Uh, those have always fascinated me when I read through the Bible. When you think about the concept of city of refuge and how they would take refuge in this city and they would have protection in that city, really a beautiful typology, a beautiful picture, a parallel with what Jesus is for us. And, you know, I'm thankful tonight. I'm thankful that it's by grace you've been saved through faith. I'm thankful that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I'm thankful that we're not in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, where we die and we're in soul sleep. Uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we are going to be more alive when we die one day than we've ever been before. That is an encouraging thought to me. It's an encouraging thing to know now as a New Covenant follower of Christ, under the blessing of being able to enter God's presence. Not only can I boldly enter God's presence, but He hears our prayers God answers prayer in accordance with his will. Please understand that. Uh, I might have referenced it, I think, Sunday morning, if I remember correctly, about how it's so important for us to realize and recognize that God's plans are not ours. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. So it's super important to recognize that, to realize that just because God doesn't answer the prayer that we have the way that we think he should doesn't mean that God hasn't answered. What it means is, is God has a different plan than what we think he should do. God's plan is better. Keep that in mind. No matter how bad it hurts you or I to see unfold what happens many times in our lives through someone we love and we care about, <clears throat> we don't want our will. Our will is cannot line up with God's will unless our will is God's will. Because God's will is perfect. God's will does the greatest good for the kingdom. And even another one, thinking about this with salvation, I, I need to say this again and again because we forget this. You know that every person we know has a right to reject Christ. They have a right. They have free will. God has given us free will. And just tonight... The fact that you and I are followers of Christ and in our culture right now, people don't like that. There's a lot of people that get upset. They get angry at Christians. They think we're, we're shallow-minded. They think we're bigoted. All these things that we hear that people will label Christians as. Well, those people will us not to be Christians. They don't believe we should have the right to be Christians. They think we're foolish and all these things. The same way, though, that they have a right not to be a follower of Christ. They have a choice to reject God. God's given them free will. And as hard as it is for us to accept that, people that we love are going to reject Christ. 
It's just the fact of the matter. We can pray and we can pray, but at the end of the day, God's not going to violate their free will. God will give them the understanding. God will, will convict them unto salvation. But the fact of the matter is God has given people free will. And that's a hard thing to, to grasp, isn't it? It's a hard thing because we want everyone to do the right thing. Everybody in here, if it was up to us, would be in the baptism on Sunday. We'd be fighting over the baptism on Sunday, wouldn't we? Because we want everybody to be saved. And I believe that's God's will, that everyone can. We know that. Scripture says his will is that none should perish, but there's this thing that is the problematic issue of it. And what is that? Free will. So always remember that. Uh, though there's a consequence to free will, I think that's the important part for us is to make sure that we convey to people in love like John the Baptist did when he said, repent or you're going to perish. This is the only way not to perish, not only physically, but eternally, spiritually. Return to Christ is the call of the gospel. Why return to Christ? Because we were all made by God, for God, for his glory, and sin separated us from God, and God's desire for mankind is to return to him. God's desire is for mankind to cross the bridge that he made in Jesus Christ and to walk with him, to fellowship with him. <clears throat> Hope you found Numbers chapter 35 tonight. Again, we're going to look at verses 9 through 15. <clears throat> and if you were able physically, excuse me, tonight, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites, tell them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, designate cities to serve as cities of refuge for you, so that a person who kills someone unintentionally may flee there. You will have the cities as a refuge from the avenger so that the one who kills someone will not die until he stands trial before the assembly. The cities you select will be six cities of refuge. Select three cities across the Jordan, three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These six cities will serve as a refuge for the Israelites and for the alien or temporary resident among them so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there. Father, thank you tonight. <clears throat> for this privilege we have to be here, Lord, on this glorious day. This day, at the middle of the week, Father, as we're in the middle of all that we're in the middle of, Lord, with our work, with home life, God, all the things that is so vie for our attention, thank you for this period. We can lay all of that aside, Lord, and focus on your word, meditate, encourage one another, pray for one another, pray with one another. God, may you be glorified tonight in everything that's said and done. May your word speak, Father, as only you can. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. And we commit all this to you and ask in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> all right, so <clears throat> these cities of refuge that we see here were cities designated so that when someone, and there's a key word here, unintentionally. I've got, thank you. Thank you, Kenny. Uh, when they unintentionally killed someone, they were able to flee. Now, the reason that they had to have these cities is because... Well, we know in the scripture, uh, an eye for an eye. So let's say you were working with someone and you had an axe and you're using an axe. The axe, the axe head comes off, hits somebody in the head and they die. Well, you technically took life, didn't you? <clears throat> now, there was no malice of forethought. You didn't do that with intention. So what these cities were designated as, as a place that people could go to and the avenger of blood is what it was called. A lot of times the avenger of blood would be a family member or relative. They actually do that still overseas now. I don't know if you've ever seen much about Indian things, but 
there are many avenge killings. Revenge killings is what you call them in many places, but they're avengers that go and seek to right the wrong. And sadly, it becomes a thing of one another, and it's almost like a gang it's almost like a gang-style killing. I'll, I'll get one for yours, and it ends up going back and forth in a nasty thing. But these were people who had unintentionally killed people. These were not people who had done it with malice, done it with forethought, done it with intent. Because if, if that was the case, you see that it talked about, I think it was in verse uh, 9. All right, let's see. No. You will have the cities of refuge from the Avengers. The one who kills won't die until he stands trial before the assembly. So if you go and stand before the assembly and the assembly deemed that it was uh, an intentional act, you were still going to bear the consequences, which was to, the life would be taken from the person. But we're going to look at this in the typology picture tonight of how the city of refuge is really a foreshadowing of a picture of what the righteousness of Christ is for us and how Christ, you realize that Jesus Christ tonight is a city of refuge for us. What are we doing? We are, sh we are shielded from the wrath of God. The wrath of God. You know, when we hear that word, I really don't think we can appreciate the magnitude of what the very statement of God's holiness and God's wrath is. Does anybody remember what happened when, when God came down and, and met with Moses on Mount Sinai? Anybody know what happened? It... it it darkened the rocks. That was God's glory. That was God's holiness. God didn't light a fire up there to keep him and Moses warm. That was the radiance of God's glory. By the way, does anybody know what happened when Moses came down off the mountain? He was glowing. He didn't have glow sticks. He wasn't wrapped in some glowy material. No, God's glory had so imparted to him that when Moses came down, he was radiant. He was literally like on fire. Can you imagine the holiness of God? Can you imagine the righteousness of God? Can you imagine in heaven, we will not need light. There is no sun in heaven. There's no moon in heaven. What is the light? God is the light. In him, scripture says, in him there is no shadow. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we stand around God's throne and the radiant glory of God lights the atmosphere that we'll be in? We can't. We can't even fathom it. It gets me excited when I think about it because I think it's going to be, well, Scripture says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Now, what is the interesting part about the place we know as hell? What is their one extremely unique factor that is the polar opposite of what I just shared with you. Darkness. Now you get up, I'm hoping as I share these things and we look at these typologies and we look at these pictures and the contrast of God versus the enemy, the reason that hell is absolutely pitch black, there is zero light. It's like the times you've ever been somewhere, I've been in caves, wake ground, and turned off my light, and then did this. You cannot see, you can't feel your hand in front of you. It's that dark. That's what hell will be like. You will be in a place completely absent from every good and perfect gift, absent from good temperature, absent from oxygen, absence of peace, absence of hope. That is what I'm telling you about. In God's presence, there is no shadow. But in hell, that's the separation, the deprivation, the removal of every good and perfect gift. But remember what I just said a few minutes ago. 
This is God's giving us a choice. People say, well, a good God would never send someone there. Absolutely right. You said it, you hit the nail on the head. Because every person that lives in a place we know as hell one day in eternity will not be there because God simply said, I don't like you, you're going there. No, it's because the person in their free will chose to remove themselves from the presence of God and all God has done is given them their will. So if someone has not by faith and by grace placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and become a transformed in the renewed image, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If they've not undergone regeneration, all they have done is rejected the ability to walk with Christ, to fellowship with him. But more importantly, they have rejected the ability for Christ to be their city of refuge. And again, look at verse 11. <clears throat> designate these cities to serve as a city of refuge for you so that a person who kills someone unintentionally may flee there. Think about a refuge. What do we know? There's some Psalms, really good Psalms. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my strong tower. He is my refuge. He is my deliverer. Think about all these pictures of what God is to us and what Christ is. He is a city of refuge we should feel the full weight of God's wrath for our sin. We have been past the sin debt, and it's really a picture, honestly, like this, because we didn't intentionally, when we were born sinners, you didn't wake up and go, you know what, I'm just wanna, I just want to sin, and I want to separate myself from God's presence. We are born separated from God. That's what the sin nature does. But until the age of accountability, if you die, you go to be with the Lord. Thank the Lord. Amen? Praise God for that. But, until, but even still, as that young child, you still are separated from God. It's the righteousness of Christ imputed and given to you before you have that age that you are held accountable for your actions. So that's a beautiful thing. But there's still, you are partaking in a city of refuge. God is giving you that refuge before the time that you're able to make that choice of your own volition or your own. But my question tonight is number one, it's a question. Who will pay the price? Who will pay the price? See, the cities of refuge. And by the way, if you ever went to a city of refuge, it's an interesting fact. When you went to a city of refuge, if you had unintentionally killed someone, you had to stay there a certain period of time. And I'm going to tell you what it is. <clears throat> when you went to a city of refuge, you were only allowed to leave when the high priest, who was the high priest at the time, died. When the high priest died, you were then free to leave a city of refuge and go back to live where you came from. Now imagine if you had a young high priest. You could be there your entire life. So if you ever had to go to a city of refuge, literally no joke, you would have prayed for an older high priest. Because if the high priest died within four or five, ten years, you could go home in four or five, ten years. But if you had one that was, you know, 20 years old and he lived to be 80 years old, you're going to be there probably the rest of your life. So interesting fact about the city of refuge, but... You know, that's what Christ is for us. Christ is our refuge. He is the place that shields us from the weight of our sin, from the weight of our actions, whether intentional or unintentional. And then the second verse, in verse 12, listen, it says, You will have the cities as a refuge from the avenger, so that the one who kills someone will not die until he stands trial before the assembly. And the second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. The judgment is coming with full certainty. It's not a matter of, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe God's judgment, 
maybe I don't believe like Brother Jonathan does, or I don't believe. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to believe there's a heaven. You don't have to believe there's a hell. By the way, you don't have to believe there's a hell to go there, but you must believe there's a heaven, and you must believe that Jesus Christ is the exclusive gateway or doorway to fellowship and be in fellowship with the Father, reunited with the Father. That is the only way that you will see a place you know as heaven one day. Now, I don't know how. We know in the, uh, the narrative between the, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, he's in torment. Lazarus is taken to Abraham's bosom. Remember, the rich man was able to see there was a great chasm. Isn't that interesting? I don't know how that would. I, I, and see, what do I always say? I function in my pay grade. There's a whole lot that I don't understand. And just because I don't understand it doesn't invalidate it. It doesn't make it any less important. You know what it helps me understand? I am finite and my God is infinite. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful, though, that I came to the place where the things that I can't comprehend, I realize that I'm so limited, and my ability to understand the mind of God is unreal. Again, I can't even fathom being in heaven one day for eternity because I can't grasp eternity because we are, you know, time is something that we can limited grasp. You know, we know what a year is. We know what a month is. And yes, I'm in that period of time when the days are long and the years are short, right? I'm actually in the period now where really the days are short, too. The days are short, the years are short, the months are short, the decades are short, and I just realize that it's all just going, and I see all these people in town, and they're like, hey, I'm like, hey, who are you? And these people have gotten really old that were my friends that were my age, and I don't know what's happened, but everybody's spinning out of control. It's crazy. I saw a man that I knew, have known for 30 years. was taking care of him. I had no idea who he was. So his family came in, and they're like, I know you. And I looked over, and I said, I don't know you. And they said, well, I worked at, so I said, oh, my goodness, I worked with you. And I said, oh, I, I just said, what first thing comes up? Wow, we're getting older. Yes, we are. But it's scary because the years just fly by. And it is such a reminder then as I talked to the son of this person, and I said, man, this is really scary because now we're where your dad was and in just a few years we're going to be where he is and our kids are going to be where we are and he said you got a point listen the brevity of this life the shortness of this life nothing 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 in this temporal nothing I see these people striving I look at these billionaires and it's just like they you, you can take bucket loads of money you could get bulldozers and bulldoze it's never enough they want more and they want power and they want all of this stuff and i was actually i saw a little thing this morning it was on how they took down the mafia back in the 80s that was running new york city the Gottis and uh, paul castellano if you don't need these people they were very big players in the in, in mafia uh, back in the 70s and the 80s and I was watching how the FBI ultimately did the process of undoing. It was a long process. And these were rich people that had lots of, lots of influence. They, had, they ran by fear and murder and all of these things. And as I was watching these people in these uh, camera, you know, these, uh, uh, the surveillance that was surveying them, I was looking at them and going, you're, <clears throat> you're on the height 
of your career right now, and I'm looking at a video from the early 80s, 40 years ago, and I'm looking back at people who already are dead, but we're watching at the height of their career when they have so much fear instilled in people that even police officers and and even legislatures and people in government were paid off just terrible crooked. They were killing, having, ordering the killings of, of peop, hundreds of people. And I sat there and looked in that TV and, and was saying to these people who are not here anymore, what are you doing? What a fool. You're giving what you can't keep. You're, you're giving that. You're, you're, you're enjoying, you're giving away what you can keep to hold on to what you cannot keep. And all of the money when these people die and all of the, the status and all of that stuff dies with them. I remember thinking the day that Michael Jackson, you know, remember when they had his funeral and the gold casket and all that stuff and thousands of people, you know, people wailing all over the place. The world kept going. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money, I don't care how much influence you have, the world keeps going when you die. Your money doesn't go with you. I remember they buried George Burns, if I remember correctly, with some certain number of cigars and a $100 bill in his pocket. And I remember, what a shame. Even the very thought of that. You know, the Indians, remember they would bury him with all of these weapons and the tombs in, in Egypt, and they have treasure beyond understanding and they would even kill a lot of their servants with them and their animals and bury them all in these sarcophaguses and things. You go, what are you doing? You're hanging on to what is fleeting while throwing away what is eternal. How heartbreaking. But yet the deception church is so rife. A number of years ago, you know what the number one conversion group to LDS, you know, Latter-day Saints, from the Latter-day Saints Church, you know what the number one conversion from what religion and denomination was to LDS? Baptists. I will tell you, if their theology is right, I'd have been one a long time ago. You know why? Because they have such an intense family focus. I have a huge intense family focus, and that part appeals to me, but the skewed theology is where I break fellowship. Because it's not doctrinally sound, church. But I understand why that appeals to people who do not have a solid foundation in Christ because that spirituality really appeals to people and it looks very wholesome and it looks, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I have great respect for the Mennonites and the Amish for the same reason. They have such an intense family focus. It's familial, it's family. Everything revolves around the family. And by the way, if you look at the word, that's what it's supposed to still be for us. You know that? That's what God's desire. By the way, do you know that, you ready for this? You know that God never intended for us to send our kids out to school? You want to know the truth? That's not a biblical concept, church. You know what the biblical concept is? Children are raised with their parents and their families. You know that? You know how Sunday school started? Sunday school started because a lot of the kids weren't able to have school, so what they did, as a matter of fact, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, was it George Mueller? One of, one of, Billy, one of the guys over in, in Europe, they saw these orphans that did not have proper schooling, so what they did is started Sunday school, and they had 
a little schooling before they had worship service. But see, biblically, we're supposed to have our families and our children sitting on the pews next to us in our Sunday school class and everything. That's really what the biblical model is. I don't care if it doesn't agree with you. It's just the truth. What's happened is we've allowed the world to raise our children, and then we are perplexed in why our children are developing worldviews that are contradictory to the truth. Have you ever thought about this? You send them to the atmosphere that is anti-everything that you could ever imagine. These children who are being raised by parents who are completely contradictory to truth and in completely total worldviews that are polar opposite of ours, and then we get all upset because we just don't understand why our children don't want to do the right thing. We don't know why they're saying what they're saying and acting the way they're acting. I have no clue. Well, you can't send them into an environment for six hours a day. And by the way, you go, well, we got the rest of the time. Anybody know what the average interaction between a parent and a child is on any given day? Less than 20 minutes. Less than 20 minutes. That is what the average face-to-face, one-on-one interaction is with a parent and a child on any given day. Six hours in that environment, 20 minutes. Who are you fooling? Who's who's the fool in believing that it's going to turn out an amazing God-lover? We're, we're, we're nailing it. We're knocking it out. 140 minutes a week. Less than two hours and what, 15 minutes? Boy, you're really impressing them, aren't you? What's six times five? 30. 30 hours in most instances of training that is completely polar opposite of what you and I believe. We don't understand why we're failing. Let me tell you something. Judgment cometh in that right soon. There's a day coming, brothers and sisters, we're going to stand before the Lord. I said to my wife here just maybe about a month or a month and a half ago, I do not care about the success of my children in the world since. I don't care. I don't care if they go to prestigious universities. I do not care about any of that. I care about their spiritual success, and if they end up mopping floors and loving Jesus, I see a complete success. I don't care what the world thinks, and I don't care what the world wants, and I'd rather have kids that are dumber than a box of hammers and love Jesus and go and do their job to the glory of God than worry to oh, poor little Billy ain't going to have a new car next year. Right, going to have a new car but headed straight for hell. Oh, how wonderful it is, right? We want doctors and lawyers. Don't let them grow up to be cowboys, right? Make them be doctors and lawyers and such. I want them to be followers of Christ. That's what I want. And I hope that's your heart. Because that's a heart in line with the Scripture, and that's a heart in line with the Lord. And I would challenge you to impress the truth on your kids. Don't get caught in this world thing of everything and every day, and everything's got to be a three-ring circus Entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. Entertain them with family. Because if you're impressing the truth of family and the family fundamentals, family fundamentals include Bible study with the family, right? Your devotion time with your family, 
We do it in the morning and we do it at night. We do it right after breakfast and we do it right after dinner every night. You know what? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that has to be more than 20 minutes alone with that interaction there, but at least it's a biblical focus in interaction. And I'm praying as you train up a child the way they should go when they're old, they won't depart from it. But that's the thing, church. The judgment's coming with full certainty. And that's the reason that we need to prepare our children. Again, don't worry about this world. Well, you know, I, I, I should stay and spend four more hours teaching them this, that, or the other so that they'll be so successful one day. Really? Why don't you focus on the fundamentals of Christ and God's word? Because God will take care of the rest of it. I assure you. But if not, you can go ahead and pour the world in them. But then don't come to me in anguish over their spiritual condition down the road when you invested in things where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't come and tell me when you realize what you've created and then you don't like it. You like the, the thought of what you want, but then you don't want the consequences. Don't, don't tell me about it then. But if you're willing to walk and talk and serve and honor and glorify Christ the way that you raise your kids, I'll sit and talk with you all day long when they're a prodigal, and I'll pray with you all day long. I'll pray for them otherwise. But you're going to have to sit and watch like King David did. Remember what, G, what, what the God said to him? What you did in secret, your children are going to do in broad daylight. God made David watch his sin play out in front of him. And you know what I'm talking about. And it's heartbreaking. Because we have two paths we can choose. We can choose God's word. We can choose the refuge, the refuge in Christ, the refuge of truth. Or we can buy the lie that the world's selling out there. And boy, they're selling it slick wrapped right now. All right, verse 15, then we'll finish up. These six seas will serve as a refuge for the Israelites, for the alien, the temporary resident among them. So anyone who kills a person unintentionally will flee them. So you had three in the northern kingdom and you had three in the southern kingdom ultimately. But uh, the third and final thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Jesus Christ is our city of refuge. Do you know him? Or may I can ask this, is he yours? Do you know Jesus Christ in name? Or do you know him in relationship? And I'll ask you another question. Still got a lot more read through the Bibles up here. I know there's a number of you doing them. I'm excited. I'm encouraged about that. If you haven't signed up, please sign up. If you read through the Bible in 2023 for the dinner that we're going to have hopefully the next month. But I ask you, if you're not reading God's word, I want you to, I, I encourage you to text. You can text it so you don't feel like you're uh, uncomfortable talking. I want you to text me how you can walk in the fullness of Christ when you're not in God's word. I want you to tell me how you can profess to be an obedient follower of Christ and in rebellion to letting God speak to you. I ask you that. And then I ask you, oh, well, I pray a lot, Jonathan. Oh, man, I got such a good prayer life. Yes, again, go to your three-year-old child. Put, let your three-year-old child put their hand over your mouth and say, listen, now I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. Because that's what it's like when we have a prayer life, but we don't read God's word. We're going to tell God how it's going to be and what it's going to be. But God, you won't say a word back to me because I'm not going to let you open your mouth. Well, that brother Jonathan, I don't like that makes me feel bad. I hope it does. I hope it makes you feel so bad that you're convicted and you start reading God's word tonight because I know that your life is going to be a mess and you're going to have misery until you get your little self from the disobedient three-year-old state you're in to a place of obedience which can only happen when you're in his word. How can you say that? Because it's true. 
Stop telling me about the misery in your life when you won't do the only thing that will fix it. The Bible says God's word will not return void. Brother Jonathan, that kind of preaching, how are we ever going to get people to care? I know what the scripture says in First, uh, Second Peter, is it Second Peter chapter 4? Verse 3, there'll come a time when men will not stand for sound doctrinal teacher, but gather around them many teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. If you want that preacher, you don't want me. Because I'm not an ear tickler. I don't care if you leave here feeling good, because I know you will if you're in obedience. But if you're out of obedience, I hope you leave here and feel like you've been beat up, because it's not me that did it. It's the Spirit of God, and you blame God, don't blame me. I care about your soul. I don't care about your feelings. And I'm serious when I say this. I care about your eternity. I care about you walking in the fullness of Jesus Christ and living in the fullness of Christ, not living some quasi half-baked lie that you tell yourself that you and God have an understanding. No, I know what the understanding is, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now send that text to me. There's no other way than walking in the fullness of Jesus Christ in obedience where the blessings of God can be put on our lives. And I ask you tonight as I close, is the dam of sin holding back a lake of God's blessing that years ago was a stream of blessing that flowed in, but sin came in just like the Hoover Dam started easy, right? They diverted that stream and they blocked it up then ultimately and now you have this massive body of water. Well, I'm going to tell you tonight, I don't know why I don't have blessings like everybody else, Brother Jonathan. I pray all the time. Or, well, I just don't read. I don't understand. Oh, just keep telling yourself him lies. You get in the Word and let God, let God give you understanding. That's how it happens. But you get in a place of obedience. You think that God's not going to let you understand his word if you get in a place that you get in there and try to read it? Oh, I know he will. Or you can buy that lie that I'm just too tired. I'm this. I'll wait till next year. I'll and all these excuses will continue on. You'll never undo that dam that's holding up the beauty of God's purpose plan and an amazing blessing, a flood of blessing that God would pour out on your life. What is it going to be? Is Christ your refuge? He can't just be your refuge in words. He has to be your refuge in action. And this is the scary part. Again, I don't say this. I know it, I know it principally. We know from the parable of the soils in Scripture. You want to talk about scary? Everybody want to leave here scared? I'll leave you scared tonight. Matthew chapter 7. Broad is that road, and narrow is the road that leads to life. Right, but right, broad is that road, and many are there that go. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. By the way, when you look at those four soils, out of those four people that received it with joy, one produced a crop. The other three spent their eternity separated from God. Deceitfulness of wealth cares of this world, you go to each one of them, you see the reasons that they fell away, but only one. And now it's really interesting as you think back to what Billy Graham said, 
He said he believed upwards of 75% of people that sit in pews don't know Jesus Christ and are headed for hell. Why do you say that? Because how in the world can you expect a harvest that would be different than what the scripture says about it? But you know what also? How many times have we seen brothers and sisters that sit in here and, and how many times has religion been so important? How many times is sitting in the pew, oh, I, I'm there all the time. I'm not talking about being there all the time. I'm talking about being in his presence. There's a difference than talking the talk but not walking the walk. It's easy to hide the lack of walk with Christ in acts of service, right? Oh, I just do things for the Lord all the time. They did at uh, Ephesus, or at, yeah, at church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, isn't it? But he says to them, I hold this against you. You have lost your first love. They were doing everything great. They were doing everything wonderful. He As a matter of fact, I really like how God addressed it. He addresses it first by patting him on the back. Boy, I've seen what you guys have been doing. I'm just paraphrasing. You know, y'all been doing really good, man. I just, it's wonderful the way y'all ministered. You guys are knocking it out. Woo! I bet they were going, oh, yeah, yeah, we're just doing our best we can. And then he says, but I hold this against you. You have lost your first love. See the height from which you have fallen. Do the things you did at first. Whew. What God was saying is you need to do a checkup from the neck up. That's the same thing as saying, man, I just love people and I love to minister to people and I just care. But no, I'm just not a reader. You know, I, I, I just serve God and I work for him and I pray all the time and it's just amazing that's like one of those country music songs where they talk about drinking with Jesus. I'm serious. It's just like the local bar in Shelbyville here that every single uh, Christmas season puts on their happy birthday Jesus. I bet they're having Bible studies in there, man. We just get in there and have communion every... No, listen what it is. It's called compromise, church. You can live a life full of compromise the same way you can go out there and live like you want to and say, man, me and Jesus got it going on. It's wonderful. It's so amazing to walk with the Lord. No, you walk right down to the beach. You sat down in a lawn chair and you've been shouting at the top of your lungs about how you met Jesus, but brothers and sisters, you never followed him. And I asked you online tonight or in this building, are you a follower of Christ Jesus? Are you in the city of refuge or are you standing out on the corner pointing people to the refuge saying, oh, it's so amazing to live in the city of refuge having never stepped foot in it. Again, I care about your eternity. I care about your soul. I care about your walk with Christ, not your feelings. This is not a place to care about feelings because I promise you, can you imagine one day standing in the presence of God? Now, remember what Moses went through he was not an object of God's wrath. Could you imagine had he been an object of God's wrath, what would have happened? I can't. I cannot fathom what it will be like to be in the, the presence of God in front of the great white throne of judgment. It's actually, to me, a horror that I cannot begin to comprehend, but it's a reality for people. It is a, a reality for people that you and I pass every single day there's a potential that it's a reality for people we hug at night or in the morning and say good night or good morning to. And it doesn't matter that we think it's uncomfortable to have those conversations with them. I'm going to tell you something. You better have them. You better care enough about those people in your life to love them enough to speak the truth. And it 
make it where those people get so sick and tired of you saying it, they said, listen, you either stop that or I don't ever want to see you again. Guess what? I love you so much. If I don't ever see you on this earth, I want you to know that I love you and want nothing more than you to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because I know that that's the only thing that can bring you life. And if that costs you relationship with your family, I know people that aren't willing to do that. I, just, I, can't, I can't abandon my family. Oh, really? Okay. You can love them right on to hell then. You go right ahead. But I know what the prodigal son story is, and you tell me if I'm a liar or you a liar or God's a liar. Because the Bible lays out the picture of how you deal with that scenario. Take it or leave it. It's not my Bible. It's not my word. It's God's word. So either we're going to be a church that follows, reads, and believes the word of God, how it says, or we want to have a social club. I have to step down. I can't be a part of it. I don't have time for a social club church. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Back in the day, that would have been a thing that I probably could have invested time in, but I got too much going on. Anybody else? And if you need a social club, let me know. I'll find you one. The Optimist Club's probably alive and well somewhere, in the, right? If you want Pessimist Club, we probably can find that. Actually, I know where that's at. It's on Facebook. Amen? Amen. But I want you to walk in the fullness of Christ, and that can only happen when we live in obedience, in yielded obedience to the Lord, and that can only happen when we hear him speak. Yes, we speak to him. It's vital. But he's got to speak to us. And God's word speaks. It speaks every moment of every day, of every week, every month, of every year. Whatever's missing, whatever's struggling with, whatever you're hurting, wherever you're battling, God's word speaks to it. You've got to allow him to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, tonight as we see the beauty of the cities of refuge, Lord, and the freedom, the deliverance that comes through that, God, I thank you, Father, tonight, not only for the privilege of being able to Take part in the city of refuge that's in Jesus Christ, God. But I, I thank you tonight also for this, literally the, the hard truth of your word, God. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that it's, Scripture says, Father, it's better that we not know the way of righteousness and to turn our backs on the sacred command that was passed down to us. Father, I pray tonight, Lord, that we would be hopelessly and desperately in love with you. That, God, everything about our life would be a life that brings glory and honor to you that we would, in yielded obedience, live every moment of our life, God, in the times that we fall, Lord, recognizing our sin as the Spirit convicts us, Lord, repenting of it, turning, and continuing to faithfully stand steadfastly on the unchanging truth of your word. I pray during this invitation tonight, Father, for each and every one of us, Lord, whether apathy, indifference, unconcerns crept in in any manner, Father, tonight would be that night that we lay that down, we re repent of that sin that it is, Lord, we will commit to being in your word, to having a genuine, working, loving relationship with you, that we would seek you with all of our hearts, Father, as your word says, it, the promise that you will be found. God, we thank you above all, Lord, for the gift of salvation through Jesus and the hope that we have, Lord, the life that you've called us to. God, I pray tonight, Lord, as we leave these buildings and recognize, Father, that the mission field that we have is so great. And God, the way that we begin to get in the we need to be, Father, is dealing with what we have going on, the complacency, the indifference, whatever it is, Father. And then, Lord, as we deal with that, Father, you can entrust us with the mission field that you have in store for us. May you be glorified tonight and everything said and done. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.